will fix the problem. I will tell you, I have one golden rule, one rule. If you go out to a potential customer, and not just one, but you go out to dozens of potential customers, and you show them what you have, and they all tell you, oh, I like it, come back when it's done, we'll try it out. If they all tell you that, you will fail. You will absolutely fail <laughs> because if they say, I like it, come back later when it's done, they're telling you to go away because that's the easiest way to get you out of their face without wasting more time. Yes. If, if they want that product, if they honestly want it, they're not going to say, I like it, come back when it's done. They're going to say, can I have it now? Can I get the prototype? When can we have this? We really need this product. This is so cool. This is so amazing. You know, how can I get my hands on it? Hello, dreamers and action takers. Welcome to another episode of the Want Money, Got Money podcast. I'm your host, Sam Kamani, and my guest today is Stephen Hoffman. Stephen Hoffman, or Captain Hoff, as he's called in Silicon Valley, is the chairman and CEO of Founderspace. Now, Founderspace is one of the leading incubator and accelerator. They have presence in San Francisco and over a few different cities all over China. Um, he's also an angel investor, a limited partner at August Capital, a serial entrepreneur and author of several award-winning books. These titles or his book titles include Make Elephants Fly, Surviving a Startup and The Five Forces That Change Everything. So without further ado, let's get into it. So welcome, Steve. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. I've been following a lot of your content online and would love to know a bit about what you're up to these days. It's wonderful to be here too, talking to you around the world. Yes. So I'll give you a little background on myself. So my name is Steve Hoffman, but in Silicon Valley, they call me Captain Hoff because I am the captain and CEO of Founderspace which is one of the world's leading startup incubators and accelerators. And I'm also the author of three books. So like you're an author, I'm an author. And my first book, Make Elephants Fly, won a number of awards. It's a bestseller all around the world. It's all about the process of radical innovation. And my second book is actually coming out in the new year and HarperCollins is publishing it. It is called Surviving a Startup. And it is all about how entrepreneurs struggle to survive. You know, that's the goal and all the obstacles they face. And from my experience and from the experience of working with, you know, hundreds of top-notch entrepreneurs, what you need to know to get over those mountains. And then my third book is also completed and it will be coming out in the summer of next year, so it's a little, we have to wait with these publishers, but it is all about the latest technology. It is called the five forces, and it is about the fundamental technologies that are going to change our future. So that's a rough overview of what I do, and I'm open to any questions. 
Fantastic. Okay, so first of all, about founder space, how is it different to other accelerators and incubators? There's there's so many, you know, 500 startups, tech stars, Y Combinator. There's so many, so many all around the world. Yes. Well, we, be, we like some of those. We began here in Silicon Valley. Actually, yes. opened in San Francisco, yes. and our focus from the beginning was a little different. So right from the beginning we were focused globally. So our mission was to help founders all around the world who yes. want to come to Silicon Valley. We need, who needed a landing pad, who needed to get going quickly, who wanted uh, really more condensed programs than many programs are three months, some are six months. Yes. We condensed them to like one month and three weeks and even two weeks you know, where you go all day long, every day, instead of meeting one night a week, like Y Combinator or something like that. So that was because a lot of these overseas startups, they didn't have the money to stay for three months. They were come, they just wanted to get going quickly, meet as many people as possible, learn as much as possible, and then decide their next move. And honestly, for some of them, uh, we determined it was better that they go back and focus on their home market for others, Silicon Valley was the right fit. So we got about 30% of our startups from kind of North America and South America, 30% from Europe and another 30% from Asia, yes. and then maybe 10% from everywhere else, the Middle East, Africa, yeah. Antarctica, wherever. <laughs> so yes. so it, it was a fan, it's been a fantastic experience. I've been doing this for years now. And yes. We have grown it. We're actually really big now in China. So yes. we have our incubators open in major cities like Hangzhou, yeah. Shenzhen, Nanjing, Xi'an, Wuhan, Chengdu. So all across China, we have our incubators open. Do I know now as many venture capitalists in China as I do in America, in Silicon Valley. So I have really good global connections. We also do a lot in Europe. We are planning to open our incubator in Australia. We have our partners there. We're all set to go. I don't know if New Zealand is next, but you never know. I've never <laughs> been to New Zealand. Oh, you're most welcome. You are most welcome. You would be surprised, actually, these days, in the last like two years, so many VCs and investors have moved to New Zealand. It's like kind of the... A lot of them have, they wanted like a second place to go to if something ever happened in US. Yeah, a nuclear <laughs> and, war or, or COVID-19. <laughs> pretty much. That's, I, I met two VCs. I think one is Ryan McIntyre. I met him like four or five days ago um, at an event here. He moved in, in August with his whole family. He, I think Foundry Group or something, it's a Boulder-based, yeah. I think he sold Excite back in the day. This is pre-dot-com bubble in 2000. Yeah, and then he's been based in there like a 2.6 billion VC group. And then he just moved here to, <laughs> to live okay, in Okay, well, Zealand. I will... I will tell you, if Donald yes. Trump is reelected, I'm moving to New Zealand. <laughs> you are most welcome. <laughs> we'll find out. We'll find out in a week and a half whether yeah, I'm yeah. headed yes. your way or not. <laughs> yes, yes. No, but I would love to visit. And, you know, I visited Australia and that's fantastic. I know New Zealand is very different. I can't wait to get over there. You're most so welcome. If there are any big Anytime. events, 
any big event, invite me. <laughs> Absolutely, I will. And if you're ever here, reach out to me. I will Absolutely. introduce you to the people around here in the tech space and all that. <laughs> yeah, so it's just to give you a bit of a background about the the podcast. Most of the listeners are really early stage um, founders, and it's got now in about. 33 countries around the world so it's it's a very global so it's the perfect audience for an an accelerator like yours just a few more things about your accelerator or incubator does it take equity stake in the companies that go through the program or do they have to pay a fees to join you or how we, does it work we actually run many different types of programs so yes. there's some programs that are really just free there are shorter programs entrepreneurs come in they you know get a lot out of them i i work with them then there are longer programs and some are fee based some are equity based you know we have our own venture fund and we work literally with hundreds of venture funds i'm an investor i'm always looking for great startups that want to land here in silicon valley or now want to land in china so we yes. we work you know Before COVID-19, I spent 70% of my time traveling looking at technology companies around the world and, you know, investing in them and helping them and solving their problems. Now I'm sort of, you know, not traveling as much, although I may head out to China soon. They have yes. COVID under control like you guys in New Zealand. Unfortunately, America were not that lucky. <laughs> yes yes i'm i'm sure everyone knows knows a bit about that i have a quick question about your book on making elephants fly and innovation so how do you make elephants fly so the book goes really deep into the process by which successful entrepreneurs actually figure out what products work how to yes. innovate how to get those products to market you know I can give a couple tips right off the bat that yeah. you probably know because you've done it but a lot of first time entrepreneurs don't know and they make big mistakes they waste a lot of time and they end up you know they even if they raise capital if you're going the wrong direction and you raise a lot of money it just makes you go faster in the wrong direction it doesn't yes. help you this is what I tell entrepreneurs don't focus on raising too much money before you really figure out what direction you're headed and to figure and to really understand uh, a lot of entrepreneurs have wishful thinking i know i've been there i've done three venture funded startups two non venture funded startups i was a wishful thinker i was like if i believe enough if i have enough faith this product will go well not every product goes and yes. it doesn't matter how positive you are and how how persistent you are It's just like if you're going the wrong direction you can be as positive and persistent as you want but you're not going to get anywhere. So figuring out your direction is the really really uh, toughest part of being an entrepreneur. And what I uh tell entrepreneurs is look, you got to get your product into the hands of the potential customer as soon as possible and don't put the blinders on. You have to really you have to try to make them tell you they hate your product because yes. honestly they probably do in the first incarnation it probably doesn't work very few products work right out of the gate you know you usually have to go through many iterations and if you're going to get a big hit like a mega hit a unicorn well then you know chances are you're going to have to try a bunch of different things before you figure it out and 
most entrepreneurs walk in like they get something that they like and maybe the <laughs> group of people around them buy into. And I did this, you know, and then you suddenly drink your own Kool-Aid. You're like, I love it. And, and you only listen to people who love it. And even those negative feedback, we'll fix that problem. We'll fix the problem. I will tell you, I have one golden rule, one rule. If you go out to a potential customer and not just one, but you go out to dozens of potential customers and you show them what you have and they all tell you, oh, I like it. Come back when it's done. We'll try it out. If they all tell you that, you will fail. You will absolutely fail <laughs> because if they say, I like it, come back later when it's done, they're telling you to go away because that's the easiest way to get you out of their face without wasting more time. Yes. If, if they want that product, if they honestly want it, they're not going to say, I like it, come back when it's done. They're going to say, can I have it now? Can I get the prototype? When can we have this? We really need this product. This is so cool. This is so amazing. You know, how can I get my hands on it? If you don't hear that level of enthusiasm yes. from at least a portion, not everybody's going to be that enthusiastic, yes. but you have to hear it. The rough rule is like 20% of the people have to go nuts over your product. So if if, not, if one in five people, at least one in five, doesn't go nuts over your product and just absolutely clamoring for it, you better rethink your business because honestly, you're, you need to make changes. And they could be small changes, but most likely they're more than small changes. Very, very true. You know, it's, it's such an interesting point you raised. I work with entrepreneurs as well. And they say, they say, oh, everyone likes my product. But I say that ask them for money <laughs> because yeah, when you ask them for money, they, the real people... ones will stay. And otherwise, the other ones will be like, oh, I'm getting a call. I got to go somewhere. <laughs> They'll make excuses That's... and run away. <laughs> money is the other way. A lot of times yes. at the early stage, when you're just, you know, have a prototype, you can't ask them for money, right? Absolutely. They're like, right. they're yes. not going to give you money. So, you know, they're going to say no to that one. That bar is yes. a little too high. Like, if your product really has value, you have it to the point where it's really working, then you definitely ask for money. Before then, just you got to, you know, read between the lines when you yes. get there. Very, very true. Such an interesting point. Read between the lines, the, what it really means. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> About the second book. Surviving startup. a startup. Yes, surviving <laughs> a startup. Yes. So how do you survive a startup? <laughs> So how do I survive a startup? Yeah, I've done it. I've, I've been through startups that have done really well. And I've been through startups that have been excruciating. Yes. <laughs> Which I'm sure you know both experiences. You know, sometimes it just doesn't work. Like what you yes. wanted to do just doesn't work. And you have to pivot really fast, first of Absolutely. all. That's the, yes. the key. I've looked at entrepreneurs. And you know, they always say persistence, persistence, persistence. Don't listen to the world. Stick with your vision, right? That's the worst advice you could ever give an entrepreneur. Because honestly, sticking with your vision when things aren't working just means you continue to drive off a cliff. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> with your eyes shut. So, yes. you know, expecting it to be great. What you need, the really successful entrepreneurs that I've seen change their direction. Oh, they try so many things. They're like, yes. boom, 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 boom. Yes. You know, trying thing after thing after thing after thing and waiting for something to pop. And when, you know, when something's going, you know, 
when you're doing a startup at first, it's really a struggle. You have no money. You're like, you're working all the time. You're stressed out. It's like being Sisyphus. And every time you get that boulder to the top of the hill, you think you got it. Like, okay, we're going (laughs) to release this. And it rolls back down on you, you know, crushing you, crushing all your hopes. But when a startup is working, that boulder rolls down the other side of the hill and you can't even keep up with it. I mean, honestly, when, when it's working, like, you know, when you hit it right, things just happen and customers start coming to you. You don't have, you actually have to work to keep up with the demand. So if you're not getting that sort of experience, when your product is out there, it doesn't have to have every feature under the sun, the core, the core of the product has to be there, but you know, all the bells and whistles, they don't have to be there because really people only care about the core and the bells and whistles make the core better. But if your core is rotten, then, yeah. No, no matter how many bells and whistles you put on, it's still rotten at the core. It doesn't really do what your customer needs. So, surviving a startup comes down to my experiences, like with all these different things and all the different obstacles you face, and what you need to do, and how you need to deal with it, and and what works and what doesn't. And that's just one example. Yep. Yep. Very very true. I've been asked as well a few times are like how do you know you've got product market fit in i in my experience when i've got if you've got product market fit you don't have enough staff to do customer service because there are like so many people want it and you're unable to supply it <laughs> i use a software called descript and i absolutely love it and i've recommended it to so many people and the other day i had to put a ticket in like this is a couple of months ago <laughs> and my ticket number was not five of seven. It was 11,563. <laughs> well, apparently you're doing too good a job for them. <laughs> yeah. So, so that means so many people yeah. are wanting stuff from them. That was for a new feature that if you want a new, this new feature, put a ticket yeah. number in. And then they send an email that, hey, sorry, we are just a small team, but we are overwhelmed with the millions of users we are getting and inquiries we are getting. We cannot keep up. But be patient with us. And of course I will be because there is no other product for me that compares to, to that product. So, yeah. And that's typically like you're, you're the customer that proves the point, right? Yes. Like if you love it, you're going to recommend it to everybody and that product's going to go and those guys yeah. aren't going to be able to keep up. And if it's, you know, if they're struggling after a year or more, you know, of having the product out the gate, forget it. They just need to scrap it. Like they probably in that time, if they launched the product and a year later, it hasn't taken off. They've tried everything. Like they may be able to keep trying stuff. They may be persistent, but that product will never go. Like it just won't go. I have always wanted to write this book. So a lot of my last book is on, on pivoting. And, and I always want to write this book on having the wisdom of when to pivot and when to persist. If you've got product market fit, then persist. If you haven't, then pivot. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, you could so, write the whole book in one sentence. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much, that's one sentence. That, that is it. <laughs> I'm going to tweet about it, but that's a, that's a very good point. It helped me clarify you would have met in your lifetime hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of founders. What do you think stands out for you that differentiates great founders from good founders or or good founders from great founders? So with great founders, they always question everything. Like 
I'm talking startup and innovation founders. If you're doing like a traditional business, you can like just do what everybody else does. It's a traditional business. You're not going to be innovating. You're just, or if you're just going to copy somebody, but if you're going to really build a unicorn, you have to do something totally different. And that means you have to question everything that's going on in your industry, everything that everybody does. And then you have to question yourself and everything your company does. Those inquisitive minds that are always not accepting the orthodoxy, not accepting the status quo, those are the ones who make the breakthroughs. And I will tell you, like a lot of times you, what your common sense says is totally wrong. So for example, let me give you, you know, the startup Zappos, you know, yes. it's a famous to, shoe startup here in to, America. Tony Sapp. Yes. Yeah. And he's a great entrepreneur and it was acquired by Amazon now for a lot of money. Now Zappos, when they started and I first heard the idea, I was like, that's ridiculous. Everybody wants to try. I mean, I buy shoes. I got to try them on. Like, I'm not going to buy a shoe online that I can't try on because, you know, most shoes don't fit. Like, I'll go to a shoe store and I'll go through 10 or 20 shoes before I find one that fits. So that was my gut instinct. What I didn't realize, and, you know, I thought about it for two seconds. So if people you know, your first reaction to an idea could be like, oh, it'll never work. But what they found out is that people rebuy shoes through them. So they already know they fit. They just want the same pair of shoes that they know fit, and it might not be stocked anymore in their local store. So they can go on Zappos and get that shoe, and they'll pay, even pay a premium, which made Zappos, you know, very profitable for carrying shoes that weren't, you know, stocked everywhere. And you already know they fit. That became, and then they provided great customer service, but that came, you know, honestly, that customer service, he keeps touting that, you know, he keeps saying, the CEO keeps saying it was a customer service, but I'll tell you, it wasn't a customer service. I mean, everybody likes great customer service, but they have to like your product first. And I think the idea that they could get shoes that they, that, you know, they'd stopped selling in their local stores, but they loved and they knew fit and order them. That was the big thing. You know, and then, of course, if they tried a new shoe and it didn't fit, they'd make it really easy to return, just like Amazon does. So, yes, the the combination was a winner. So you hear ideas initially that just don't seem to work, but then you you have to try it. Right. You have to go out there and then you discover, oh, there is a market for this. You know, it's it's very different than I might have thought originally. It's not just somebody first time buying a new shoe. It's, you know, repeat customers. Yeah. Oh, look, it is so amazing. It is so refreshing to talk with you. I would like to ponder on that point once more. And that is that, you know, everyone talks about Zappos and they talk about customer service. That is just for Pia. The real value is in the insight that you just gave on that, that, you know, that Tony had that insight that, oh, look, people buy these shoes again and again. And he could see things like when everyone was going zig this direction, he was going on the other direction. He had a sort of a counterintuitive point that was correct. So yes, in the in the same would be true for the online sellers of glasses, right? Yes. At first, you'd think, oh, I need to try on a bunch of frames to know what looks good, and then you figure out, actually, oh, it isn't that expensive because glasses are lightweight. To mail you a bunch, five, have you try on five, and then you know keep what you want. Uh, That became a very good model. But on your first intuition, it wasn't how people shop in stores. So when you're innovating, you're going into new uncharted territory, which means you have to try, you have to like go deeper than the people who just dismiss an idea out of the blue. You have to try it and see if there's a market there. Excellent point. 
you know, you have invested in lots of startups or, or through your venture and, and all that. What are the key things you look for in a, in a startup? That's question number one. And the question number two is what are the types of questions you ask the founders of that, those startups? Ah, okay. So the key things I look for, I mean, let's face it, in Silicon Valley, everybody touts traction which means growth, yes. right? How rapidly is your company growing? Either the user base, the revenue, or both. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they want to see growth because growth is real. Now, yes. if you have a lot of traction, a lot of growth, it's a no-brainer. Like this, yeah. there's something here, you know, you've proven it. But a lot of the early stage startups, like your listeners, like they yes. don't have a lot of growth. They yeah. are just beginning. They're trying to figure it out. They haven't yes. quite hit it yet. How do you know if they're good? It's really important. Uh, a couple things, you know, I've run my incubator. I've worked with so many founders, you know, if that core team is really good, if yeah. you go to those people and you can see their, their minds are on fire, you know, and that they are really passionate about what they do and they have, you know, the appropriate backgrounds to actually execute on their vision without a lot of money, like they can yes. just do it. You give them a little, then they are probably going to be a good angel investor. Because even if they haven't figured it out yet, they will just keep trying and trying and trying. And I've seen this, like people have yes. come to me with bad ideas, and but it's a great team. I'd rather invest in them than people with a great idea that's a bad team. Because a great idea and a bad team will always fumble the ball. They will always fail to execute. So yeah. it's not just the idea, it's the execution combined with the idea. And even, you know, a good team will just keep trying new things until they eventually hit it or, you know, some other disaster happens, but you hope they hit it when, you know, with the money you give them, that's what you're giving them at the early stage, that chance to do it. So ultimately, you know, I want a good idea, an idea that seems like I believe in it, but I will tell you as an investor and all investors are this way. We're called venture capitalists, but we're, you know, most venture capitalists aren't that adventurous. Like they yes. are like pretty damn conservative if you actually yes. talk to them. So what they're going to need is proof. And I'm the same way. Like, why wouldn't you want some proof, right? Because I, like, like I told you, bad ideas can turn out to be great or bad sounding yes. ideas and great ideas can turn. You don't see the flaw at the beginning. You just Absolutely. don't see it. And yeah. until you go further down the path, because yes. it's impossible, you don't have enough insight into that industry mm -hmm. and the market and everything else. So what you're looking for, is there some kernel of truth that this entrepreneur can give you and something to back it up, like to make it real? So I tell entrepreneurs, like, look, if you don't have a lot of money and you don't have, you know, you know, huge marketing budget to get your thing out, do a small experiments, like really detailed experiments that go to the heart of the needs of your customer and try to extract from that the data you need that you can show an investor like me and I can extrapolate from it. I can go, wow, okay, they got something here. For example, a simple way of doing it with, you know, not much money, it, you know, B2B startups are easier than B2C. Like B2C, you literally have to put it out there, you know, so yes. a minimum viable product to get some feedback. B2B, you can actually go to your customers. You know who they are and yes. you can mock up your product, right? You can actually, what I tell them to do is videotape potential customers as they play with your prototype or as they get your pitch, videotape their reactions right? 
then you yeah. can you can actually compile these into a best of clip and show it to investors if your if your potential customers are going nuts over this right and the investor can call up like me and actually talk to them you know i see them going nuts and then i call a few of them to make sure you didn't pay them to do that you know <laughs> they weren't yes. actors you know they were real customers and i can call them up and they're like absolutely like this this we want this thing you know the reaction i told you then that's real i will put money into that because at that point you know you've got you've got something real like you don't have a full product it's just a prototype may even be a powerpoint but you've got to the heart of it i always tell entrepreneurs your job isn't to just build a product it's to go out and find where the hidden demand is the demand that isn't being met so yeah. you know you're a demand hunter so i tell them to do that go into the market figure that out and come back and give that to me show me that if you can show me that i'm on board if you can't show me that then i'm just uh rolling the dice right i'm like in las vegas i'm like yes. just betting on like whatever so that's the most important thing and the questions i ask usually go to the heart of that you know you know what are your customer reactions what data can you show me can i talk to your customers you know what, you know can i play with your product so i can at least gauge my own reaction which is just one point of view but i don't always trust myself right you've got it because i know from my my own experience that you know if i like the entrepreneurs if i might be inclined to just like the idea with without really understanding the needs of the actual people who will be buying it you know i'm a venture capitalist i might not be their customer so these are very important things and this is why they say that entrepreneurs who build products that they really need in their business or their life are more successful well because they're the customer right yes. <laughs> they know they need it they they have that point of validation you know the founders of airbnb you know they really needed the money from renting out their rooms and that's how they came up with the idea so when all these venture capitalists said no they were like stuck with it because they had the proof like they were the customer they yes. were the users they would use airbnb they wanted that product so yeah. that's why you don't have to build a product that you need but you need to find the people that need it and and then get that proof as early as possible. Yep, very very true. One of the things you did touch about is the B2B startups versus B2C. B2B makes sense and in fact I feel like B2B you can bootstrap a lot more because you need a lot you don't need that many you know if you can find a niche where you can get your customer to pay you $2000 a year or $5000 a year you are not going to need that many clients whereas b2c it is super challenging when everyone is paying you $5 and or or if that or nothing <laughs> initially so how should is there a way for founders to bootstrap b2c or is that just a they should just think about funding from no, there one? is a way it's called kickstarter so yes. kickstarter and indiegogo is the platform you make your video you don't build yes. a product you put it out there you get reaction but you also have to understand that certain types of products do well on kickstarter and indiegogo mm -hmm. and other type of products just don't so yeah. for example like a utility app that's a consumer one may you know nobody will really care but you come yeah. out with a cool idea for a game or you come out with a gadget yes. that everybody wants that will do really well but just because it does well doesn't always mean it's great like a great business it might be a great 
you know, small business, but it doesn't mean it's a great venture business. So a lot of these gadgets, you know, they, they can make the entrepreneur a good amount of money, but then they peter out. Why? Because mm-hmm. everybody and their brother copies it, you know, out Absolutely. of Shenzhen and all these places. Yeah, right? yeah because you, a lot of them are just white labeled, built by the same factory and they'll just white label it and put someone else's the, brand sticker on it. And that's it. Yeah. As soon as they see it selling on yes. Amazon or some other marketplace, then yes. they're instantly going to copy it. And they can do it in two months. You know, they can, yeah. it's like no time, even if it's not their factory, like they can just yes. buy it, reverse engineer it, put the same gadget out at half the price. All of a sudden your profit margins go down. You have no profit margin. How can you advertise? You just become like you're competing on crumbs, which yes. they do, which all these guys, you know, they're really yeah. good at, right? These, these operations, these low budget operations, because they don't have the cost of innovation. <laughs> they're literally, Absolutely. they can, yes. and they have the factory already. They can literally operate a much lower margin than you can and they squeeze you out of your own business so initially you can make a good chunk of money on a great invention but if you don't gain enough momentum get scale build brand uh then and your product is marginal you know successful but not a you know not a home run and you can't execute on scaling it then they'll crush you and you even you know it, it even happens to the big guys too. Like yes. you know, a lot of the big guys even get, it's a, it's a tough, brutal business, especially hardware. Like hardware yeah. is hard. So gadgets yeah. are hard. Software is much better. You have much more control. You can lock customers in for the long run and monetize them much better than hardware. So I tend to prefer software, honestly, to hardware. So when I'm out there and I, I tell entrepreneurs, go for software, <laughs> you know, leave the hardware up to other people. Like, you know, sometimes big companies with a big product line like Logitech can do hardware well. They built their brand. They can upsell all their existing customers, you know, whereas you, it's going to be much, much harder uh, to defend your hardware product unless there's something about it that they just can't copy. Absolutely. It, it becomes a, a brand and that's the moat that they can use. Otherwise, it gets commoditized and then it's just a commodity. Anyone can buy a dollar right. cheaper and, from the next yeah, and, and the dollar so, cheaper. Yeah. So many entrepreneurs that have done that. And at first, it seems so promising. And, yes. you know, a year later, they're really struggling. So we saw that with Pebble. It, you know, raised $10 million on Kickstarter. It was a great yeah. idea, right? You know, you think if you raise $10 million, you hit a home run and they did, right? (laughs) Like that was a home run on, but the Pebble smartwatch just got clobbered by everybody else. Eventually, you know, they, they had at the beginning, the first few years, they were doing quite well. And, you know, then, like I said, the margins just went away and their brand wasn't strong enough, you know, whereas Fitbit, Fitbit scaled it out. Like, so Fitbit was a, a success. But they were also an early mover like Pebble, but they did a much better job at scaling. Like they just scaled like crazy and got their own margins to be really competitive. And then if your own margins are competitive with somebody who's ripping you off, but you have a, a really good brand and other things uh, in, in your product, you can beat them. So it's not impossible. Hardware can hit a home run. You know, there are ones that hit a home run, but they tend to be fewer and farther between than software. Yeah. 
<clears throat> I feel like I see the same thing between the B2B and the B2C startups. There are, I feel like there are so many more B2B startups that are either bootstrapped and sustainable or have funding and sustainable and growing that way. Whereas B2C, the price is enormous, but very few make it through the first first, I don't know, the first, even first raise or first customer, pretty much um, paying it, customer. It yeah. So I tell entrepreneurs, if you want to sure or bet, go to B2B, right? You can yes. go directly to your customer. You can figure out a market that nobody's figured out. B2C, really competitive. But then again, if you get a hit, it can be a mega, yes. <laughs> a mega unicorn, a decacorn, whatever. Yes. It can be a huge thing. So B2C is sort of like, going to Vegas and putting all your money down on one number and spinning the roulette wheel, right? Yes, and yes. if you hit that number, man, you walk out a rich person. And yes. but if you, but the chances are you're not going to hit the number. And yeah. and then and then B2B is more like poker. Like, so yes. if you know what you're doing, if you if you figured everything out, you can like you can get better and better and better and actually eventually make money. <laughs> yeah. This is a common thing that I have heard. Now, I don't know, you might be able to tell me if it's true or not, but from really early stage founders who have, and from early stage founders who have raised some money and those who haven't, they say that once you raise your first check, then it is a social proof between investors and VCs, and then they get FOMO, and then you are more likely to raise, follow on, and and so on. But for those who have never done it before, it is quite scary, and they don't know how to start it, and the first check is the hardest. Is it true, How or is it not true? <laughs> so it's it's both true and false. Mm -hmm. First of all, raising your first check can, it can be very difficult, especially if you aren't doing the right thing. So this is when I train entrepreneurs, like what do you do to get investors like me interested? Like, you know, what can you show them? How could, what do you need to do with your product and your business plan and your pitch and everything else to actually get, get them to say yes. And I cover a lot of this in surviving a startup. Like how do you, you know, do the killer pitch and how do you, you know, the psychology behind it all. I won't go into it all, but I will tell you that you, it's both easier and harder after you get your first check, because let's say you get a decent sized check and you actually build out your product and launch it, you know, from your angel investor. If your product doesn't go, you're dead in the water. It doesn't matter that you got that first check. If it's not going, if there's no proof after you put that product out there and it, it you're, it's really hard to get the next check. Like yes. really, you know, it's easy to get a, a bunch of little checks at the beginning, you know, little mm -hmm. angel checks, right? Yeah. But once you've got enough to actually get that product out the gate, it better work because getting another check uh, either from your angel investors or other people becomes much, much harder. If you, if, if, if you took a wrong turn. So uh, that is why getting the, you're not, you know, once you get that first check, you're not a home run. You're only a home run when you have that product market fit and the thing is going, that's when you're a home run. And it doesn't matter if you had no checks, honestly, yes, no checks or, you know, a, a zillion checks. If it's going, it's going and people yeah. will put money. And if it's not, it's not. And at the early, and it, look, if you've got a lot of money, if you raised a couple million in angel funding, put the product out there, did the marketing, everything, and it's just middling along, you got to totally pivot with what money you have left or shut down that company and try again. So yes. that's like, that's like, 
that is, and both of those are just, ra- you know, radical pivots. Like you're not going to probably get more money for that unless the person is a fool. <laughs> yeah. So like if they've already invested and they feel like they give you just a little more, you'll survive. Usually it never works. You know, yes. good money after bad. That- so don't, don't, don't count on that. And get, it doesn't matter how many checks you get. Like just go for the proof. The proof is all that matters. Proof is in the product market fit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The checks don't matter. The money follows success. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is very, very true. And then the other thing that you did mention that, yes, go for radical pivot because just barely surviving because this is not a brick and mortar business. This is very different, like a tech startup I'm I'm talking about. So yeah, you need you need product market fit. From everything you have said, surviving the startup is... Sounds like a really, really interesting read. When is it out? So it'll be out in in the spring. Uh, yeah, the, the Northern uh, Hemisphere spring. Yeah, yes. 2021 on Amazon, everywhere else. And Fantastic. it is, uh, honestly, it's already out in China. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's out in China because uh, we they're fast. <laughs> U.S., yeah. like big publishers in the U.S. are slow. Like I was like, yeah. they're slow. You know, it's like still an old industry. So in China, it's out and, and it'll be coming out, you know, in kind of the beginning of next year. Yeah. The early yeah. spring, early spring. Yeah. Very, very cool. A lot of the talking about your incubator accelerator, a lot of them in U.S. have gone remote. Is yours still based in Silicon Valley and based physically in China? Do people have to attend it there or has it also gone remote? Well, right now in China, everything's open. So startups are open. Yeah, Yeah, they're they're like New Zealand. In the U.S., it's all shut down. Like like we're not holding events. You know, you just... Don't do that right now in the U.S. So everything is online. So, yes, we have actually a really detailed uh, online program where if you like how I talk, you get a lot of me. (laughs) I'm on there. So you can actually join our online program. It costs almost nothing. And if you're starving a student or something, we, you know, will even help you out for free if you can't afford it because we really want to educate people. So, yeah, you just go to Founderspace, sign up. And it's, it's all these videos and other materials that we give you. So it's a three-month online program. So it's like more than any entrepreneur would need. <laughs> like, it's sort of like you came to Founderspace, but you didn't actually have to come. Fantastic. That is great. Uh, before we go, I have three quick questions. First one is, what is the book that you are reading right now? Or what is the book that you read last? Oh, so there are so many great books out there, but I don't just read business books. So in my, my view of the world is that I want to read everything. So I read books on psychology and anthropology. I read books on uh, fiction and, and then I read tons of history. And then I read a lot of business books. So one of the business books I like is called Never Split the Difference which is yes. written by an FBI, former FBI, who talks about how to negotiate deals. Love Chris that Moss? business book. Is it uh, what Moss? I, what? Is Never it Chris Moss? Chris yes. Moss. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. good yeah. memory. Yeah. Because I didn't remember his name, I just remembered the title. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a great book. Another uh, book that I just finished reading is called Little Big Man. It was made into a movie and it is a, it's a, a hilarious book about the Wild West. 
So it's, I just, it's a, it's a really fun book. So I, I was reading that. Fantastic. I will put these titles and, and links to these books in my description. <laughs> also, it just gives me an insight into, you know, your life and what's going on and what people are reading and insight into other people's life. And books are great for that. Is there, I read a new is, book every week. Oh, every wow. Week. Fantastic. Because yes. What better way, more efficient way to get into the brains of really smart people, the smartest people that ever live, you know, they've, they've almost, you know, that most of them have written books or at least their books about them and actually suck out all their, their way of thinking, their way of viewing the world. So for me, yeah, at least one a week. Like sometimes I go through more depending on how much time I have. Yeah. I'm a huge book junkie. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> it also helps me teach like entrepreneurs, yeah. you know, and understand the world better. Yeah. I will send you one of my book later on. Great. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. And is there a podcast that you follow or that you listen to? Your podcast. We got to promote <laughs> you. We got to plug you. <laughs> so, Thank you. <laughs> so podcasts. Uh, so, you know, I listen to a lot of different ones, like Freakonomics, I think it's really well done. It's I just love the book, really by insightful. the way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the books are great. The podcast is great. It's, it's a really good team. The, what's it called? The something brain, the hidden brain. Oh, so yeah, yeah. the hidden brain. I really like that. Yeah, yeah. The hidden brain. It's, it's all about how people think and why they make the decisions they make and uncovering kind of those mysteries of like why we do things. And we don't even realize, you know, that we're doing it this way because this is how, you know, human beings are programmed and this is how society functions in brain really good. So I'll give you those. Yeah. And if you had unlimited time, resources and money, what would you build or what would you work on? Oh, so, you know, my problem is it would be too many things. <laughs> so, <laughs> I like, I like, I love so many different things. So I would continue doing what I'm doing because I just absolutely love it. So I just do even more, I, you know, invest in more companies, and do, <laughs> you know, do help more entrepreneurs. I would also maybe invest in a movie, make a movie, even though I'd probably lose money, but just, it would be, you know, for me, it would be really exciting I mean, to, yes. fun to do that. I would, I would put more money into education. I think education is so important around the yeah. world. And I think a lot of the problems we're having are because people aren't educated or miseducated. Like they're yes. given the wrong facts. You know, you look at the world today and you're like, how could these people make these decisions like that are actually against their own interests, you know? And they don't even like realize they're, they're doing that. And it's not because they're necessarily stupid. It's just because it's very hard to verify what's real and what's not real in today's yeah. crazy world of media and fake news and, you know, propaganda going out all over. So I'm always really concerned about democracy, about yes. uh, people's rights being infringed upon, about people being taken advantage of. And I would put definitely money into trying to figure out with technology how to solve these problems and get people more aware. Like I just heard that they did a study at Harvard, this professor, and you might not believe this. We're both from democracies, right? But I found it really hard. They, he said that 
you know, 30% of the people in the United States said that they would prefer to have a president who didn't have to deal with Congress, who could just pass whatever law the president wanted. That's like a dictator. <laughs> like, like, and didn't have to bother with elections, you know, yeah. didn't have to bother with elections. So they would actually prefer to just have, uh, you know, an authoritarian in power, 30% of the people in the US. And you think, well, those are crazy Americans. We understand those guys are nuts. Same was true in Germany. Same yeah. is true in Germany. And the numbers were actually higher in France and the UK. So yeah. you look at this, and these are all democracies, and you realize that people are getting bad information. They like actually don't understand what they're thinking, you know, and you know, no system is perfect. We know people are frustrated. People are always frustrated because you can never get anything right. But Absolutely. Yes. that doesn't mean you choose even worse thing. <laughs> yes, that will many, that many seems times, good yes. on the surface because yes, you don't yes. have all this political fighting and all these other things going on and things could be very efficient, but they can also go horribly wrong. And <laughs> we've seen yes. that in the past, you know. So yeah. that type of education I think is so important for the world. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Now, the final question, and that is, do you have a ask? Are you looking for, I don't know, <laughs> um, students, investors, entrepreneurs? What are you looking for? Any oh, ask for anyone so, listening? Yes. Oh, if, you know, I love doing these podcasts. It's really fun for me. It makes me, you know, I'm, all, you know, especially now I'm like kind of, you know, we're cooped up. We can't get out. So meeting new people, doing these Zoom podcasts and stuff. If you have one and it's, you know, you have a decent sized audience and like you and, and you've done something, contact me, you know, I'd be, I'd be happy to do that. When we can start traveling again, I love to travel. So if there's things going on in your country, around the world, contact me. I may show up on your doorstep, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, big conference or something and we can do stuff together. It's really fun for me to explore other cultures. I really like to help people all around the world, especially people in places that might not have access to what we have access to here in Silicon Valley. That is great. Thank you, students. Thank you, Captain Hoff, so much for your time and sharing all your wisdom and all your insights. I will put all your contact details on all the social platforms that I already have underneath in the description so people can get in contact with you and reach out to you and hopefully collaborate in some way or form. So That's thanks. wonderful. It's so nice to meet you too. Likewise. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Want Money, Got Money with Sam Kamani. Hope you enjoyed the show and got some valuable insights that would help you in your startup or your business. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate this show on your favorite platform. It would be extremely helpful and I just cannot tell you how much I would appreciate that.